thing to, to stop circling and then I can talk. And sometimes it doesn't. So I, there we go. Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Today's guest is the co-author of this wonderful book, and you can see that I like it, <laughs> all the post-its, called Body on Fire. Her name is Dr. Jothi Rao, and she's going to be talking about the benefits of fasting, which she talks about in the book, and not just for chronic illness, but, but for our overall health. Please welcome her back to the show. Nice to see you again. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure, because last time you came on with your co-author, and she's going to have her own episode next week, and I thought, you, you have so much to share that we needed to get a whole episode just with you. How have things been going for you since the last time we spoke? Busier. So, you know, COVID took a little bit um, of an issue with people coming in to get health care and all that, but I think everyone's getting more comfortable now, and so it's good. We're seeing people when they need to be seen, um, and I think people are feeling comfortable, so... But do you only see people in person? And if so, where? Because whenever we have a wonderful plant-based doctor on the show, people want to know, are you taking new patients? Do you do telemedicine? Yes, we are doing all of the above. We are seeing virtuals. And um, unfortunately, telemedicine for us is restricted in Maryland based on state laws. Whatever that state they're, they're calling from, sometimes it means we have to have them come see us in person once, and then we can do telemedicine after that. Um, but yes, most of our patients, I'm mostly 60-40 where I'm doing virtuals versus in the office. So that's been yeah. better than last time. Um, but yes, most of our patients, I'm more. Where'd you go? Dr. Rao, are you still there? I'm here. I'm still here. I'm oh, here. you're good. It just, you went away for one second. So you're doing, you're doing, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a good split then between the virtual and then the office. Yes, it has. See, it's been it's been very helpful because we've had some family emergency medical issues happening, and it's been, you know, just the comfort of being able to do virtuals. Um, I'm taking care of my mother now who has pancreatic cancer, uh, oh. so it's just you know that ability to do virtuals and still be with her has really been helpful. Oh, I'm sorry about your mother. My brother had that, and it's terrible. So sorry about that. And is she using any of your techniques to just maybe uh, enhance? Yeah. It's interesting because I do recommend fasting quite a bit, but uh, she's a type one diabetic and on insulin. And that's one of the restrictions, obviously, for people have to be very careful when they're on insulin. Um, their sugars can fall if they don't eat properly. So we try, we try to get her nourishing foods. You know, her appetite's not great, but uh, I work on, you know, walking and meditation and sleeping well and all those other things to support her immune system. So hopefully yeah. one day at a time. That is so important. And it's like, I, I always wonder, why don't we think to support our immune system before we get a disease? Yeah, no, that's, the, that's what I'm hoping all this awareness with COVID and the immune system will allow people to understand that it's really much more important to prevent and support ourselves before we start to get an illness. But that doesn't happen all the time. And things like cancer sometimes creep up, even people who do everything right. So that's the hard part sometimes. Um, but yeah, we're trying whatever we can. Um, She's, she's listening with the energy that she has. The chemo is pretty rough. <laughs> so, you know, I think the problem is that she needs the energy to do some of this stuff. But I'll put on, you know, a meditation when she's sleeping so she can hear it passively. Um, you know, just anything you can do to try to get some lowering cortisol or whatever the, you know, the benefits are that way. How did you get interested in fasting? Did you ever go to a place like True North or have an experience yourself? No, I would have 
love I would love to go to True North. Uh, I have just experimented with trying to find tools. I myself have been pre-diabetic for most of my life, doing everything that I thought I could be doing. But I was under the assumption, as many physicians are, that breakfast is the most important meal. And that was true for a very long time. Um, and I was one of those people uh, I, that I couldn't even do fasting blood work because I would get so jittery and irritable if I didn't eat breakfast. And then I found that, you know, as I was learning more about nutrition and the whole system and how it works, that it's not normal to feel that way. You shouldn't have to eat or feel the need to eat breakfast or have that issue. So I found that that was a representation of my insulin resistance, which then I thought um, was get, just getting better with the less I ate. So if I didn't have breakfast, I felt a lot better than it had I had breakfast in two hours, I would be hungry again and irritable and jittery. So that whole cycle started happening. And then I started looking into, this was about eight years ago, nine years ago, around the time we started looking at writing this book for lifestyle interventions you know, as you know, there's not a lot of education on this during school. And um, the topic of fasting was coming out slowly, but I really felt a personal benefit when I started to do it for myself, where I just didn't eat for 16 hours and I felt so much better than had I eaten. And it didn't matter what I ate. It could have been the healthiest food. It was still the concept of having food, nutrients coming in too early into my body. Yeah, it's so interesting. There's so much debate about this. And I've interviewed so many people now about the circadian rhythms and how that sometimes what you when you eat is almost as important, if not more important as what, but yet there are people that really believe they got to eat the minute they wake up, even if they're not hungry. Yeah. And I think that was ingrained in us. We were, I think it was the Kellogg's people. I don't know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. It was it was touted even in um, by people who are my professors that breakfast was so important. And you know, a large meal in the morning and smaller meals as you go on in the day. And that was kind of the concept for health and grazing regularly versus skip, you know, waiting four hours between meals. I think things are evolving because of the research that's been able to be done in the recent past. I, I don't think we had that level of data coming in. Um, and especially with uh, True North, as well as other pioneers like Walter Longo, you know, fasting's really taken off. And um, I, I credit that to a lot of the pioneers that are doing this research, but we didn't know any of this when I was in school or training. Even the first 10, 12 years of my practice, we didn't know too much of this. Yeah, that's, what's the longest fast you've ever done? Or have you done an ex extended water fast? I, I do um, Balja Longo's fasting mimicking diet pretty regularly, at least once a season, which we can talk about. But I have gone three days on a water fast. That's kind of been my limit. Um, I'm trying to extend it to a five-day water fast, but that's been a little challenging. Um, I think I heard, um, you know, the representation with, with Dr. Goldhammer at the True North Clinic. He said the first four or five days are the hardest. And I have to get through that hump, but it's really challenging to do. Um, so, I, you know, two and a half days, three days has been the longest I've had to go with water. Yeah. Right. And it's also probably if you're working, it's probably really hard. Because yeah. now with the stress of um, caregiving as well, I think it's just been a little more challenging. You know, cortisol plays such a big role in what we do with our food choices and how we eat and when we eat, because sleep deprivation drives our, our instinct to get, you know, more sugar and, and our, our hunger hormones change and things like that. So the more sleep deprived I am, I find it's, it's, it's a lot more challenging to do the water fasting. We do the fasting mimicking programs. It's given to you in a box, so you don't have to think about it and you I still feel like I can function and get through my day. Uh, is, is the fasting mimicking, is it vegan? Yes, it's plant-based. It's Walter Longo's plant from who's at El Nutra is a company that created it. He did all the longevity research at University of Southern California. 
and he's come out with this plant-based um it's 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 uh it has kale crackers and soups and uh, lots of teas um and a little bit of glycerin water but it's supported by the his data that mimics that it shows that it mimics a five-day water fast uh and so he's doing great research with the nih now even in pre-chemo patients for autoimmune disease for different cardiometabolic issues with using this protocol. So um, I think it's a, it's a nice segue for people who feel like they can't do it on their own or they can't get to True North or their physicians won't you know, allow them to do something like this because a lot of physicians will tell, still tell you it's not safe, um, so, which is not true, but the right person has to be a candidate you know, in the sense of if you're not a type one diabetic, if you don't have a history of anorexia or bulimia or eating disorder, if you are not pregnant or nursing, um, and there are certain medications like metformin, we have to be careful with, with fasting uh, and some other ones, but it just, again, the, most people I think can at least do time-restricted feeding, which is, you know, eat in an eight hour window. Uh, but even that is, you know, kind of not touted as, as a therapy for say insulin resistance, which I think was what changed my numbers quite a bit in my metabolic profile. It wasn't until I did that till my numbers started to change. Um, even a plant-based diet, yoga, meditation, working on sleep, exercise, I still had that pre-diabetic issue and it kind of switched when I did the 16-8 fasts. So that's interesting that you're pre-diabetic because you don't look like you're overweight at all. Were you ever overweight? No, never overweight. Just, uh, it was a metabolic issue. And, you know, even now when I used to have, I didn't understand this very much, but when I would have, you know, rice, South Indian, we have rice at every meal. Um, I, I w up until I was about 30, I could eat, eat the rice at lunchtime. But then after that, if I had any sort of rice or carbohydrate load that was more simple, um, I would get supremely fatigued where I have to go and take a nap. And it was like a light switch around the age of 33. I think that's when my insulin resistance started to develop. Um, I think we know a little bit more about that stress plays a role. Um, our met metabolism, our hormone imbalance in terms of progesterone and estrogen can play a role as well, our thyroid. Um, so there is a hormone imbalance issue. I think that is fostered by stress. And that might've been what, what led me down that path because the stress level was pretty high in my thirties. Um, but yeah, now it's, you know, now that I know all these, I have all these tools, this is why we wrote the book because we were telling, we we're trying to tell our patients as an internist and a cardiologist that there's so much you have in your, at your dispense that you can do on a daily basis that can help prevent illness, but also if you're healthy, this is a great way to promote cognitive function. It's a great way to promote endurance. Your workouts get better. You know, your muscle mass can get better. So even if you're healthy and there's nothing wrong with you, fasting is such a great tool for everyone. How do you ask your patients to get started? Because I, I remember correctly, at least the doctors at True North say people shouldn't do an extended water fast on their own at home. Yeah. So I usually just tell people to go for 12 hours without so start with a 12, we usually start with time-restricted meals. So time-restricted feeding means that your window for eating is in an eight or 12 hour window, as opposed to grazing most of the day and also eating right before you go to bed. Uh, so, and most people find that 12 hours is not a problem. And then I say, okay, if you can do 12 hours, maybe if you're comfortable, go to 13, go to 14. I try to get people to 16, eight window where they're fasting for 16 hours and and um, eating over an eight-hour window, um, and so that seems that seems like most people have done it. Several of my patients have been able to do more of a water fast with um, my supervision, in the sense of just, but very few patients. It's not common. Um, but even if you go for one day, 
with just drinking water, 24 hours, something like that, they think that's also pretty reasonable. If, if you joined us a little late, we're talking to Dr. Jyothi Rao about her book, Body on Fire, and she's talking about fasting, which she does talk about a bit in the book. And people are asking things like, well, what if you're over 50 or what if you're on medications? So um, age is actually a, a relative contraindication. It's more about the health with that age. If you have, say, a type 1 diabetes, if you are on certain medications like metformin, I would talk to your doctor about it because metformin sometimes doesn't allow your body to break down the fat and the glucose in your own stores. So, um, you know, it is definitely do not stop medications without talking to your physician. Um, people who have, again, pregnancy, uh, pregnancy nursing, women should not undergo fasting. Uh, anybody with an eating disorder, that's also, you know, not a safe thing to do. But most people, uh, I think, with the blessing of your physician, if you don't have any severe chronic renal liver issues, should be able to at least do time restricted Right, I, I, I once heard that people on psych meds, that's a contraindication, at least for water fasting. Yeah, yeah. And time restricted feeding, remember, even if you, the data shows that even if you had the same caloric intake, so you didn't change what you ate at all, but just the time that you ate it, you would prevent some fat gain and you would be able to metabolize things better. You would promote more um, sugar tolerance and glucose tolerance and insulin uh, resistance can come down just by eating in a different window. So not even changing what you eat it, and the caloric intake can help tremendously for metabolic issues. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it isn't that hard to see. I mean, it's basically skipping breakfast. So what, what do you think about people that do it the other way? I know, I know this elderly couple that like eat breakfast and lunch and don't eat dinner. I don't, I think it has to be whatever's good for you. I know some people sleep around eight o'clock or they sleep earlier. And so they don't want to go with that. They don't want to go to bed with that heavy feeling in their belly. Um, whatever that 12, that 16 hour window for you or, or approaching that 16 hour window can be. I also think that um, people should also pay attention to, um, you know, aside from just usual um, cycles, they should still do all the other good habits, right? So things like yoga and meditation and, and um, you know, strength and eating the right foods is very important because what we see is that when you're fasting and you exercise, so you, if you're exercising on a fasting state, then you actually build more muscle, you can burn more fat and your actual exercise tolerance improves. So if you are able to structure this so that you can get in a workout while you're fasting, that's also a very good thing to do as a goal. Some people are saying that the, the food from Dr. Longo is just too processed. Yeah, no, it is not ideal by any means, but I do think that it's, it's for me, it's uh, one of those things that is a segue to something that can create a habit for someone. And his data from what his research has shown is very promising in the sense of lowering metabolic numbers like glucose and insulin, um, lipids, as well as markers of inflammation and waist circumference, all of which are very, very, um, you know, aggravated in the societies, the standard American diet, and even with what we do, like what I was trying to do, I couldn't actually make that switch to changing my metabolic profile until I instituted something like this. And for me, it was a, it was a segue. So it's maybe not ideal for everyone, but it does allow me now to do more of those water fasts and skip meals. And my, my cycle is more regulated with do you do it very often? And I'm wondering if people could do it without having to buy it. Like, could they construct? Oh, yeah. So, so 500 to 600 calories restriction 
is, um, is something that you can do as a 5-2 plan. So five days a week, you eat normal foods and two days a week, you can have 500 to 600 calories. That's also part of an intermittent fasting regimen. So we don't have great human data on comparisons with all of these different things. So it's hard to say which one is better for you as opposed to like, or, or humanity in, in general, because our, we're just doing the research now. They're doing the research now to see what fasting does to the gut microbiome in humans. They're doing what, you know, comparing say water fast to fasting mimicking diet, um, pre and post chemo, all sorts of different things are happening right now. So I think over the next five years, we're gonna have a lot more information. The issue really is to try something where you're limiting intake during certain periods of time. And like I said, for most people, the time-restricted feeds is the easiest and the most sustainable, as opposed to going for 24 hours on a water fast, three days on a water fast, that kind of thing. Um, and I think that your tolerance for doing a water fast from going from a time-restricted feed to a water fast for a day will be higher if you do it kind of in a stepwise fashion. So you start at 12 hours, maybe work yourself up to a 14, 15 hour window, then you try to go for a day without water, with just water, sorry. Um, and then see how you feel. And maybe doing that periodically, once a month, once every other week, something like that. But using data, like your metabolic numbers, your waist circumference, your blood pressure, you know, things that are objective measurements to see what it actually works for you and what's sustainable, right? So the key isn't a fad. We should try to create things that are sustainable for each person. Well, I mean, like 12 hours seems very doable because you could literally start eating at 7 a.m. and have breakfast and finish your dinner by 7 p.m. And, you know, ostensibly people should not be eating all night until they lay down. So it, it, that seemed very reasonable to do a 12 hour window. Yeah, absolutely. But that's what happens because they're stressed. They're watching the news. They're, um, they're you know, when you're stressed, the hormones change so that you do crave something. So let me have a little bit of chocolate before I go to bed. Let me just have an apple and peanut butter, even if it's a healthy version of, of, you know, type of meal, it's still putting in calories that's taxing your pancreas, taxing your insulin um, before you go to bed. And that's not ideal. Right. Do people have to worry about nutrients when they're either on a fasting mimicking diet or doing a fast? So the data doesn't show that there's any sort of malnourishment with, with fasting um, so far. I feel like that you actually metabolize things in a more efficient way. Fasting also allows for um, release of autophagy, which is the kind of the discarding of bad cells or inefficient cells. And so your body just becomes a little bit more efficient if you do it regularly. And you're able to utilize things much better. It does help the gut microbiome. And we know that when the gut microbiome is helped, exactly how it's helped the research is being done, but when the gut microbiome is helped by growing good guys, getting rid of the bad guys, your absorption of nutrients is better, your sense of leakiness in the gut improves in the sense it lowers it. So we do know that um, nutritionally, you, it's likely, and it's not proven, but it's likely that you're actually going to do better with the food that you're eating if, you're, if your body chemistry and your gut microbiome is happier. How, how does stress affect how we even absorb the food? Doesn't, I mean, even if, like you said, even if we eat the healthiest diet, if we're eating it in a state of stress, it's not really benefiting us to its full potential. You know, so part of how it's, it's not just when we eat, it's also how we eat, right? If we're eating um, stressed out at the computer while we're doing a Zoom call or running between, you know, when we were driving to work and things like that, eating in the car, eating on the, on rushing out of the door to, um, you know, when we're trying to get the kids out and things like that, we are telling our brain that we are on sympathetic overdrive. 
So the parasympathetic, the nervous system is, is arranged in the sense that we are, um, the autonomic nervous system has the sympathetic system, which is our fight or flight, and the parasympathetic system, which is our rest and digest. And you are supposed to go up and down. Um, basically one goes up, one goes down. And so they can't be up at the same time. So when we're telling our brain that we are, um, you know, running from a tiger by eating really fast, chewing, barely swallowing, we're telling the body that we're running from tiger, the vagus nerve shuts down, the vagus nerve is what's in charge of the, of the rest and digest system. And when that happens, we don't digest our foods, we don't make enough enzymes, we're then growing, when undigested food starts to come into the gut, it starts to grow bad bugs. And when bad bugs happen, you start to grow certain gram negatives, you start to grow certain bacteria, you can start to increase the leakiness of the gut and cause more intestinal permeability, which then total body inflammation can go up, which can all start with our thoughts of I am so stressed out and our actions, which is I'm just gonna stuff this in my mouth so that I can get going. So the ideal way to eat is also to be calm, to eat. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, you can't talk to anyone or you can't watch TV, but to be mindful of eating with by chewing your food and allowing that vagus nerve to know you are resting and you're digesting. And so that, that will allow the enzymes in your mouth to get activated, the acid in your gut to activate, and then the whole system can process the foods better. So then you can grow the good bugs with the fiber that you're eating, the high-nutrient foods that you're eating. Um, so many people, when we started lecturing together, Monica and I, when we used to go to the communities where their diets were impeccable, you know, people would still come up to me and say, why do I feel so badly? I am eating the best possible diet I can. And then you would ask people, you know, their stress levels and their sleep patterns, and they were terrible. So part of it is we have to manage that rest and digest system. So remember, rest and digest includes rest. So rest is equally as important as digest. So we have to be calm and mindful when we're eating, but also outside of that, we have to kind of get the techniques to talk about our sleep and you know, prioritize the sleep issues and also create me mechanisms for us during the day to help us deal with our stress, right? It's a very stressful time right now for many reasons. And so what are our coping mechanisms? And it's individualized, it's, you know, everybody's different, but is it a meditation for you? Is it a yoga? Is it is it a breathing technique? And I view those, you know, very, very much in line with anything that has to do with the food part because the vagus nerve and the, par the parasympathetic nerve is the rest and digest system. So they have to be kind of equally weighed out. So how do we make our ourselves uh, resilient against stress in the first place? I know you have a lot of tips in this book and I'm posting the link if people want to get it. You know, the thing about stress is, you know, our thoughts matter. We have a chapter on optimism. When things happen to us, when bad things happen, you know, part of that is our, the way we look at it. So I think it begins with our outlook on, oh my gosh, this is happening to me again versus, okay, I'm going to, I have tools to be able to be helped by this. I have, you know, so many people that are here that can be my resources. This potential issue can actually help me grow in some way. I know that's not easy to see, especially if it's a medical issue for you or your loved one, but it is it's something that if we change our mindset about it, it can actually help us heal. It can actually help us get to the other side by just changing the way we think and then incorporating the things that prioritize your sleep, right? Shut the TV, shut your notifications. Do not worry about that email that comes in at 10 o'clock at night. Don't let your phone bing and ding and make sounds all day because it's that distraction, that constant distraction really makes our nervous system and our brain very wired and very tense and it in increases our anxiety. So to 
forget, just like fasting is taking away something, I think that the calmness of our mind and creating silence is also very beneficial to our health and taking away things like putting away our phone when we're working, maybe just checking emails once an hour. Don't look at the news, you know, every five minutes, you know, check, check the news maybe in the morning or at night or read a newspaper, but there, it's a very highly anxiety provoking world right now. And so we have to be able to implement these techniques that gives us more quiet and maybe get more time for yourself and just breathe and do things that are calming. Sometimes people feel like if I prioritize my sleep, my boss will get mad at me. You know, I know people that were doing Zoom calls, they're going till 10 o'clock at night uh, because they can't, right? So they know there's no commuting time anymore and all of that other stuff. So it's creating a, a world of constant being, a, uh, being available, which is not good for our mental health. And we're seeing that with, you know, the numbers going up in mental health, 30, 40% increases in anxiety and depression. So we, we do need to, you know, put away the phones and figure out how we can give ourselves more quiet and silence and downtime. That's also a priority. I know it's easier said than done, but I think it's, it's something that people should think about. Right. Well, I think this whole, I think it's addictive. I mean, I think smartphones are addictive. I think social media is addictive. And I think most people just can't get off. Right. Right. And so that I think to know that it's addictive, I always, I tell people to get a buddy because it's really hard to go on this by yourself. So like have someone that you're accountable for, whether it's your child, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your parent that, you know, that will tell you, Hey, put the phone away, put the phone away. You don't need to check your messages while you're eating. I'm trying to talk to you. Can we just put the phones away while we're trying to have a conversation? <laughs> because it does. It's just one of those habits that just keeps coming up. And also, the, the phones don't need to make all the sounds that they do, right? The notifications and the sounds that wake us up at night. And I mean, unless, you know, even for me, I'm, you know, on call at night, I have the phone next to my bed, but it's not going to buzz for every notification that I get. Um, so I, I do think there's a way to live our life. I mean, what did we do before cell phones? We had normal lives. <laughs> so it's kind of like that whole fear. I know when people don't, they forget their cell phone, they're in panic mode. Or if their cell phone dies, they panic because... Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to miss? But honestly, that's what we have to do to our own bodies. We have to charge ourselves, recharge ourselves. Charging your parasympathetic system by working on your rest, working on quiet, working on sleep is like we are charging ourselves so that we can go back and get through the next day with all the stuff that's coming at us. Because if we're, and that's why the burnouts are so high, because we're just going and going and going and we're not nourishing this parasympathetic system. Our vagus nerve, all of this the food, the diet that's coming in, when we eat, how we eat. I know it's a lot, but it really makes such a big difference when people focus on it. Yeah. Well, my secret is I'm 61 and I've never watched the news in my life ever. I mean, it's not that I don't know what's going on. Believe me, people tell you. They will tell you. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. It's just, it's just such a stressful show. And I mean, it's just like, sometimes you can't help. Well, first of all, I don't watch TV either. That's helped. Not that I don't watch things. I don't watch television. Like I, I watch programs because I don't like the commercials and the advertising. I, I remember just, you know, like the one time, like I was watching the news and it was like some guy that dropped a puppy off of an overpass and I, that stuff stays with me forever. So I never watched the news. And I remember when I was 17, I was a senior in high school and I had this government class and every day the teacher would test us on the news from the night before. So I would just call up my grandfather and say, just tell me what the stories are. You know, people, people, there are, it's just, it's very stressful, especially in this world. And like I say, you can't not know what's going on. If you, if you are. It's possible not to know if something is that big, you will, you will learn about it. Absolutely. Um, but I don't know how people function that are glued to the news all the time. And, and I, I don't just, 
I don't think they function well. And that's the reason I think the problem is the gut breaks down. So again, with that kind of level of stress and anxiety, you can be eating so well, but you, and you can do the fasting, you can do all of that, but you've got to calm the mind down. So the cortisol can start to change that gut microbiome and grow the bad bugs and, and affect the way you digest your food. So it's really, really important to understand that there's two aspects to it. Great. Uh, there's a question when you were talking about chewing and somebody asked if there was a certain number of times we needed to chew our food. Sorry. Oh gosh. No, I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. For me, I feel like, I think it's enough to, you know, make sure that you've processed it. And I'm sure each texture and each food has a different number, but in, in general, it's about trying to just be calm and chewing your food. The other problem, if you start giving numbers like that, is it becomes almost obsessive and then you're worried about, oh, I didn't get that, I didn't get 20 chews in, I only got 15 in. And that kind of worry negates the whole point of it, I think. So I would just say, you know, eat calmly, eat so that you're, you know, re you know you're focused on your food, be mindful, taste your food. Um, there's also a little bit of controversy of, well, should I drink fluids with it or liquids or not liquids? It's back and forth. Um, I tend not to drink liquids with, with eating, but you know, some people need something. I would just say you prep it, you know, warm temperature liquids as opposed to ice liquids. Ice and cold liquids tend to slow down digestion. Warm liquids tend to help digestion. So those are just some of the small things, but I don't want people to get too focused on numbers because then it becomes a different type of kind of panic and frenzy about that. Right, well, I've heard Dr. Clapper say, chew your food to a cream. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great. Yeah. So in other words, if you go to the bathroom and you see corn, you didn't chew well enough. Yeah. 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 Or, or maybe you're not eating properly in the sense of you should be calmer. Maybe you need to you know, sit down, slow down a little bit and chew your food so that the enzymes can work, the acid can work. All of those things can do it. Right. So, many, so many people, like I, I don't go very many places, but I'll be in the car and like they're, they're like eating a banquet, like behind the wheel. Like they're on the phone with one hand and they got a burger in the other. It's like hilarious. Also, it's not safe, right? But yeah, <laughs> and that's just so normal. It's so normal to see people eating at their desk and eating in their car and all of that. So it's a big yeah. problem. Isn't it France that has a law that you can't eat at your desk? I, I heard one of the countries, they like they want you to like go go take a lunch break. That's, that's great. I didn't know yeah. You know, but the notifications, I mean, I, I don't have any notifications other than my husband. Like if he were to call her, to, but we, I mean, that's everywhere. Anybody else can wait. There's no notifications. I am on social media. I'm not really on it, but I mean, I have a presence, but I've never had notifications turned on because it would drive me crazy. Uh, yeah, I think so. I yeah. actually do it too, but it, I sometimes feel like it's the uh, minority. You feel sometimes abnormal for not doing it. Yeah. That's okay. Um, you know, I, I've never, I never was upset to be in the minority when the minority was right. Yeah. <laughs> William Jennings Bryant. So uh, Maureen says, are there any, oh, excuse me. Yeah. Are there any statistics on fasting in regards to chronic illness? Yeah. So fasting has definitely been shown to reduce things like triglycerides and insulin resistance, um, their uh, cholesterol, improved cardiovascular risk. Um, it also has been shown to create better memory function. I'm not saying it reverses Alzheimer's by itself or dementia, but our growth factors, when we do fast for periods of time, the ketones that are formed from that can actually stimulate brain activity and improve our neural connections. And our growth factor called BDNF gets higher. 
So brain functions can improve, metabolic panels can improve. And now they're looking at different types of fast for autoimmune disease. They're doing it before chemotherapy, different regimens. So we don't have all the full information on exactly what types of fast are good, but they are looking at it specifically for chronic illness and seeing what levels of um, fasting, whether it's true north 21 to 40 days versus a five day versus you know periodic intermittent fasting. Again, that data is gonna come out, but it definitely has great potential based on what we know. And she also wanted to know, does fasting, does it help gut bacteria die off? Yeah, so there, um, they, do, they did show that, in, at least in animal models, that there is a change in a positive way for the gut bacteria in different types of fasting regimens. So remember that the problem with all of the data is that if some of the regimens were time-restricted. Some of them were intermittent, so it's between uh, 12 hours to 48 hours. Some of them were alternate day fast. Some of them were periodic fast for uh, 20 days or a week, things like that. So it's kind of hard to quantify exactly what someone would need. But yes, there is definitely a change that happens with gut bacteria. Exactly what that change is and how to get there is not clear. Okay, great. Thank you. I saw a question. Uh, where did it go? Uh, yeah, I hope I'm saying your name right today. I did listen to the wonderful video you sent me and you have a beautiful voice. Bulent, she wants, he wants to know, do you practice pranayama and can you please talk about the calming effect of the left nostril breathing on the nervous system? Yes, so I do practice pranayama and there is um, a great class for pranayama called Art of Living. It's a school that you can learn different techniques with. From what I understand, and I'm not an expert, from what I understand with things that involve two different sides. So if you are touching your nose with this side, breathing in one nostril and breathing out the other nostrils, what you're trying to do is activate both sides of the hemisphere. So when you're doing things that kind of bring together the right and left hemisphere of the brain, it creates a very calming effect on the brain. So from that perspective, I think it also lowers cortisol. I think it also increases your alpha waves in your brain, which are very calming and focusing. But that particular intranasal breathing does have some data on lowering blood pressure. So um, it is an excellent technique to do between Zoom calls. It's an excellent technique to do before you know you're going into something stressful. But a daily practice of anything that's yoga, which is postures, um, so asanas, which are postures, or pranayama, which is breathing, or even meditation, any of those practices done on a daily basis is so helpful for overall health. That's great. I have a nice comment from Shell. When I stopped watching the news seven years ago, I felt a form of freedom and no longer uh, uh, get involved in fear-based thinking. Excellent. And I saw a question. Where did it go? I'm sorry. Uh, here it is from Susan. I've been intermittent fasting for about eight months, 14 to 16 hour fast overnight. I've been vegan for over two years, but switched to a strict Plant, whole food plant-based SOS free diet in January. I'm 5'8 and started at 138 pounds. I've dropped to 114 and I'm struggling with getting enough healthy calories in during my eating window. I'm taking in 19, she wrote 19,000 calories. I think she probably meant 1900 on average eating sweet potatoes, rice, farro, and lots of non-starchy vegetables with California balsamic vinegar on top. Any advice? Should I stop intermittent fasting? I'm stuffing myself when I eat, but I'm still not gaining weight in a healthy way. Help. Sounds like she's not eating any fat. Yeah. Also, yeah, I was, I was going to say maybe nuts, add, yeah. um, healthy nuts, but also how does she feel? I mean, it's, it's uh, the weight is a little bit low, but how's energy 
how's the skin, how's your, how's your overall kind of the health is also important. But yes, I do think adding things that are a little bit higher in nutrients as well as calories might be helpful. Yeah, but thank you. And um, Christina says that, were there any studies ever done with fasting with COVID patients? Ooh, I'm not sure about that, honestly. I think it's challenging when people are really ill. I, I don't know if you meant COVID, very moderate, sick or severe illness. Um, you know, I, I don't know of that data at all. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know if they've had any COVID patients at True North because I think they check for that. Let's see. You know, I'm just curious, how did you and Dr. Agarwal get together writing this book? Well, she and I um, both grad, we met, we live in Maryland. We lived in Maryland together. She now lives in Florida. Um, and we, we met at someone's, um, at a restaurant at a birthday event with one of our friends. And we quickly realized we both trained at the same medical center. We both had an interest in, um, comp, you know, in integrative medicine, I would say, not alternative or anything like that. But she did some education with Andrew Well after her residency. And I did a fellowship in anti-aging medicine and functional medicine. Uh, and we had a lot in common. And we then did a, um, we did a cooking class at my home to try to help other physicians learn about cooking and the role of spices for especially things like their like hypertensive patients. And that night when she was over my home and we were cooking together with physicians, we both realized that there's so little information out there on lifestyle, especially food for physicians. Like we don't know actually what to recommend to our patients. This was over 10 years ago. Um, and so we thought we would kind of combine our forces and kind of put our heads together to try to create something. And that's where the book came from uh, because we wanted to educate not only our patients, but also find a resource for other physicians. Because when we were talking to people, we felt like we were kind of alone on an island talking about you know food and how it matters and diet matters and removal of you know things like dairy and eggs and those kind of things. The concepts were still kind of foreign back then. And so uh, we bonded over that kind of idea. Plus, we both did triathlons and we both did um, exercise wise, we were kind of, um, we worked out together. So we just had a lot of common interests. So we have stayed friends and we're now currently working on a cookbook, um, which should be out next year. Oh, good. Well, let's book you now. That <laughs> you guys can do a recipe demonstration when it comes out and show actually show a recipe. Is it, does the cookbook have any, any theme? It's about anti-inflammation. Right. Well, isn't everything inflammation? I mean, like, isn't every disease somehow inflammation, whether it's a cold or cancer, just the degree and where it is in the body? Absolutely. Absolutely. So our foods we're targeting to kind of simplify recipes and just um, from, for my, Monica and I both wanted to create a book that, you know, if you come home at six o'clock, you know, make something healthy for the family with not that many ingredients and try to uh, create an environment where you know, the kids, you know, it's, it's what everybody's trying to do, but it's, it's so hard sometimes when with the stress and the, and the lives that everybody needs to try to get back home and, you know, have the stuff in the fridge that you need because fresh food is so important. You don't want to eat leftovers all week long. And especially with my mom now, we're trying to get her fresh food, daily fresh food every day. Um, she lives in a different place. You know, it's important because that matters, especially the more ill you are. It, it really matters. Not that healthy people shouldn't eat well, but when, when you are cooking fresh every day, it's so important for the immune system. The histamine counts and things like that that go up when you have leftovers, um, which can tax the immune system and, and prevent digestion. So it's sometimes, it's not even an issue where you're, you're eating the right foods, it's how are you digesting it? 
how what what are you extracting from it? Mm. So uh, Susan, who asked the question about possibly being too thin. Uh, she said that she feels great, but her husband is concerned. I asked her, well, how do you look? She says, my upper body looks thin, trying to build more muscle. So maybe, maybe work out. People always tell me I'm too thin and I weigh a lot more than you. So I don't know. I think people get worried when people are not, and we're so used to seeing most people be overweight now that, I mean, she may or may not be underweight. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I didn't, I wasn't able to do your body mass index. I don't know. I think, what that she, said, I, I think she said five foot eight and one fourteen. If I remember correctly. Oh, Boulent, Boulent. Hopefully I'm saying he's a future guest on the show who is often watching, asking questions and he's an amazing voice. I hope he'll sing on the show. Yeah. Oh, this is an interesting question while you're looking that up, Dr. Rao. Nataria said, Dr. Walter Longo referred to a recent study saying that prolonged fasts, 16-8 for a long time is damaging to the gallbladder. Do we have more information on this? Prolonged fasts, oh, uh, what he's saying is doing it for extended period of time past the five days. I'm not sure. Well, she's saying, for example, 16-8, just doing the intermittent fasting even for a long time. I, 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 I'm not familiar with that. So maybe could you post a link? Um, so when I, when I do recommend, I don't know exactly. There is a little bit of taxation on the gallbladder when, whenever there is a significant um, issue with weight changes. Uh, I don't know that 16-8 would definitely cause that problem doing it for a long time, but I do have people do it um, taking a break on the weekends. What I mean by that is on the weekends, maybe you do more of a 12-hour. Uh, and that's mostly because lifestyle changes allow for people to you know, sometimes eat later on the weekends. Um, so I'm not sure about that, that question, but I, don't, I do think that if you are doing something that is five days, 16, eight, and two days where you're doing 12 hour, that should be okay. But I would be very curious to understand what the length of time that was seen in. Right, okay. Um, Christina says, what are your thoughts on juice fasting? So um, when, with my patients who have severe GI issues, inflammatory bowel disease and things that are very, very their diet's supremely limited. First of all, I don't like to limit it, limit diets to any one thing for long periods of time because as we know, diversity matters and we need to eat lots of fiber and juices don't have that much fiber in them. But the other problem with juices when people say juices is that they, they tend to be more fruit-based, which is a little bit of, even though they're fruits, they, that's more of a sugar surge than if you combine it with like greens or things that have high protein in there. Um, I do think that it's important for people to choose. So juicing for me, uh, is not great past three weeks, but I do use it in the subset of patients who are having problems with digestion, severe restrictions with foods because they're very uncomfortable. Juices tend to be very easily to easy digestion, uh, but I don't like the, the pure uh, fruit juices. I do the greens with the berries or other types of fruit, usually add things like chia seeds or flax seeds to try to give people some omega-3s, but I'm not a big fan of doing it solely and exclusively past three weeks because you don't get the enzymes. You don't start, you know, chewing is very important. It sets a lot of signals to the vagus nerve when you chew, when you create saliva in the mouth, when you start to signal the stomach to make acid. So we need that feedback loop for the, for the gut to stay healthy. So maybe two, three weeks, um, if, if, if it's needed for some sort of medical issue, I don't really promote it for weight loss or anything like that. Um, I like smoothies because they have more fiber. I'm, usually trying to get people to eat more fiber all the time. So it's, it's, it's challenging when it's just juicy. 
right? Well, Lori says, I'm late. You may have covered this, but is it better to fast for 24 hours once a month or do daily intermittent fasting? I think you would probably say the intermittent fasting based on what we've talked about. I don't know that we know the answer to that, but I think it's easier to do the intermittent fasting in the sense of the time restricted foods, um, maybe even four or five days out of the week versus maybe seven. Uh, but yeah, I think um, I try to do, I try to like basically do once a month, if that for a 24 hour um, in addition, just, but I have no data to support why I do that. I just kind of feel better. I kind of feel like I've cleaned myself out and it's kind of like a cleanse. But um, I'm not sure that there's any information on that out there. Terrific. Uh, Shannon says, is juicing okay if I have malabsorption due to malrotation of the intestines? Um, so juicing will allow the nutrients to get absorbed a lot easier than any other form of food in the sense that things don't have to get broken down as much. And there's not that much fiber. Fiber is, is not, it's not that it's bad for you, which is harder to break down if your gut is not adequately um, functioning properly. So I think that it would be okay. I would see, I would really want to know. Um, so for people who do things like that for long periods of time, I like to check nutrient testing um, where we can do it on red blood cells and white blood cells to see what nutrients are available to your body and what's actually in the tissue. So to make sure that you're adequately getting um, the things that you need in terms of macronutrients and micronutrients and trace minerals. Great. Uh, Celtic Sunrise says, what is your opinion on dosha balancing no i don't is that have to do with chakras i know that's you're talking about um oh, dosha, Ayurveda. 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 what's ayurveda i think uh yeah. the, sorry the, i don't i don't know too i much. think kita kapha vada i think is what it is i'd have to get like dr dr chopra on to talk about that i think i would love to learn about that but i am not aware of what that means right now <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's okay uh reem wants to know what's your favorite tea Oh, I love, I love to make yogi tea, which is um, basically a homemade tea with, with spices in it, with cardamom and cloves, uh, ginger, uh, black pepper, turmeric. Um, and I just try to make it several times a week and it's, it's very soothing, it's very healing. So that's my favorite tea. I'm a very big proponent of hot water and lemon. So most of the time I'm drinking hot water and lemon as opposed to a tea. I find that teas are a lot of diuretic for me. So I tend not to like want to get up in the middle of the night and, you know, go to the bathroom. So I, I just drink hot water and it seems to work better for me. And lemon is such a great detoxifier and it's such a great pH balancer. So I usually throw that in there. Um, the pre-packaged teas, I mean, I just kind of, any of the blueberry chamomile, it depends. I think it depends on if I want to be feeling calmer or if I want to get revved up. Licorice tea is nice when you need energy. Chamomile is nice when you want to calm down. Valerian's nice when you want to calm down. So I think, you know, it's just one of those things that it depends. But I, the yogi teas, uh, which are just made from spices, it doesn't even have black tea in it. Um, I just love those because they are just so refreshing and has full of antioxidants and anti-inflammatories. That's great. Uh, Angela says she just purchased a Kindle version of the book and Cecily just purchased the book and looking forward to reading it. I've been posting the link in the chat and in the show notes, if people want to check this book out. It's wonderful. It's called Body on Fire. And let's see, there is a question here. I'm sorry, my, my chat moves a lot faster than you guys because I broadcast to many different places. Yeah, so she, she's saying um, it's an integral part of Ayurvedic medicine, Pita Vada Kapha. So I saw another question, but until I find it, I may as well ask you about yoga because you talk about this in the book 
And I think yoga is amazing. I do something called yin and I love it. And I think it's one of the best stress reducers there is. Yeah, I, I feel that yoga, you know, is an umbrella term that encompasses the postures, the breathing and the meditation. Any form of it, all forms of it for me has been life altering. That's the thing that changed my life is yoga, practice of yoga. I was in my waiting room, um, a general surgeon named Gina Sager. She started, she retired from surgery and she said, I'm going to do a meditation class in the waiting room. And, you know, I was just, I didn't know anything about it, even though, you know, I grew up with meditation in my family and all of that. She had us all sit down, the waiting room was packed. And she basically said to all the patients in the room, you do not need to be here, you can heal yourself, which I have never heard a surgeon say out loud. And so I was very intrigued. And so she made us all sit there and she made us meditate, a guided meditation. Within two, three minutes of doing that, my brain changed. It just was a switch that changed because I think you're going on adrenaline so much that it just kind of calmed me down. And I didn't even know how to feel that way. So I started practicing. I took a class. I did a mindfulness meditation class, changed my life. I mean, it's, it's kind of like when you don't even know what good feels like, you have no idea how good it can feel because you have no idea how to get there. So yoga for me was that path to wellness that really was life altering because it just gave me such a calm mind and focus and, and reduce that kind of background scratchiness. You know how people like, I always had that, like when you draw chalk on the back blackboard, that background noise that was always kind of there, that all went away. I'm just kind of much more calmer, much more focused. In fact, when I used to do her classes on Tuesday nights in the waiting room, Wednesday, when I'd see patients, patients would always ask me, did you go on vacation? Have you been away? Because I think the wrinkles on my forehead got better. It was just one of those things that just relaxed you so much. And it's so nice to feel relaxed because it's so rare to feel it. But yoga, the movement of yoga is so fabulous for many things, including balance, because balance we lose at 40. And it's such an important part of preventing osteoporotic fractures and falls because they are so important because when people fall and fracture something, their quality of life goes down so much and their increased uh, risk of death goes up within a year of a hip fracture. So we need to keep our independence. We need to build muscle mass. We need our balance. So yoga does all of that. Plus the thing that yoga does really well is it drains lymph and lymph is our detoxification system. So we have three channels in the body. Um, one is uh, the artery, one is the vein, and one is the lymph. And the lymph is, gets rid of all the garbage in our, in, our, in, our, in our body. And yoga speaks to the lymph. It moves lymph. So I don't know if you guys do yoga. You could, when I do a down dog, when I do my sound salutation in the morning, I just feel all this drainage that happens in my head from sleeping all night, being stiff. So it is such a beautiful way to wake up the spinal cord. And what does the spinal cord talk to? It talks to the brain. So when you wake up that brain, it's like all your senses are awake. And so yoga is a way to speak to the entire body, the mind, the body, the muscle mass, the balance, the, um, the lymph drainage, and also calming the cortisol. And so it has so much data. So wherever people can find any form of yoga, I would say, please do it daily, any form. So valuable. It's the people that do it understand this. The people that refuse to do it just can't understand what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a life changer. You can, yeah. you can change just like food. It is, um, you know, when you connect that mind and body together and you connect that spinal cord to your brain and you start to do things that are opposite of what we do all day, which is sit, and we use all our flexor muscles and we're not using any of our extensors in the back, that just opens up your whole body when you do yoga. And even simple postures, I don't know what your favorite thing is, but even if you did the forward fold 
oh. and you're hanging there, you do a down dog, whatever. It's so refreshing. My favorite stretch is legs up against the wall and then I spread them apart. And I like, if I get feel stressed or, and I'll just take a break. And I, that's why people like laugh at me and they take my picture at conferences at airports. They're like, what is she doing? Is she showing off? No, that just, it just completely calms my nervous system. It's amazing. Like, like that. And that's why, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm flexible from doing the stretch, but it's like, it's just, my body just knows legs. It's just, I love yoga. What can I tell you? One of the things that helps us age better, you know, longevity is also important, right? Living well to the very end of our lives is very important. And one of the things that helps us get there is our muscle mass and sarcopenia, which is loss of muscle increases as we age. So how do we maintain our muscle mass? We have to do things a little bit more Yoga is a wonderful practice to maintain muscle mass. You don't have to go and lift big, you know, weights at the gym. A simple yoga practice can also maintain your muscle mass and in fact, build muscle um, by doing it too. Absolutely. So there's a question here. Does, does fasting change metabolism in a negative way? Because Diana said she did a 15-day water fast at True North and afterwards could not control her ravenous appetite and has been out of control and gained at a fat rate and now heavier than when she had children. She felt it changed her metabolism in a negative way. I don't know how to answer that because I'm not sure what you started off with, what other medical problems there were. I am not familiar with the 15 days water fast as opposed to the, you know, the intermittent fasting and things like that. I, I really, I really have not heard that happen before, but um, I'm not sure what hormones maybe have changed or what other impact the fasting had in your metabolism with uh, respect to thinking maybe muscle mass, but usually muscle mass goes up with fasting. So muscle mass increases our metabolism. Um, so I'm not sure how to answer that. I'm sorry. Yeah, maybe I would, I just, I suggest she just talks to one of the doctors at True North because if she was a patient there, they would have her, her chart and things like that. Um, I, yeah. So there was a question here from Sean Milla. How strict is 16 hours of fasting? Can it be 15 or 15 and 15 hours instead? I, I, and also what I want to know is how strict is it? Cause I've heard different things from different doctors, especially at true North, that if you have anything other than water in the morning, you're not fasting anymore. So if you have lemon in the water, if you have coffee, if you have broth, you're technically taken out of the fasting state. So I, I don't know that to be true based on what I've read, but I think it's waters and teas. Um, in some of the studies were okay. Even up to 500 calories were considered fasting in some of the studies. So um, this is the kind of stuff that I think as we get more information and more research done, we will have better answers for people. But alternate day fast did include 500 calories per day. So, you know, what, what, I guess the question is, what are our goals? Like, what is the end point? Do we want to see changes in, say, things like markers of inflammation and um, insulin, as well as lipids? Those actually do okay when you take in moderate as less than 800 calories. And that's what Walter Longo showed in his colon data. So uh, I don't know that you have to be completely fasting in order to see changes. I think the goal would be to just give your body some periods of rest and be forgiving. It doesn't have to be 16 hours. Do the best you can. I think less is more because I think we are in a state of abundance all the time. And as we can in decrease that in the sense of like decreasing our intake, not in a harmful way, not for you know malabsorption or any other issues that's going to cause health issues, but in a way that you're just eating less. Twelve, if you're twelve hours, you go to thirteen hours. Great. Um, we don't know enough to say that for your particular goals that you have to do sixteen hours. 
I think that data is coming. But what I always tell people is I try not to make it so hard that you'll never try. <laughs> so I just, I think you do the best you can. Less is more. Again, periods of quiet and silence are also as valuable. If you get 10 minutes of meditation, then it's better than, you know, no minutes of meditation. If you get 14 hours of a fast and it's better than, you know, 10 hours of a fast. So you do what you can, you, you have to live your life. And then if you have certain goals, like I want to reduce my insulin resistance, then you may have to do more based on what your objective data is. And that's kind of what I feel like everyone should have a goal in mind when they're starting. And maybe your goal is, I just want to think more clearly. So you can see how you feel on a day-to-day -day basis. I do think clearer when I don't eat for 15 hours, sometimes 14 hours. So I just, again, just go with what you want to do and kind of your, your personal goals. Right. Angela says, I've heard for older women, we shouldn't fast more than 12 hours. Is this true? I don't know that to be true as a rule. I think it depends on what your medical issues are. I think it depends on what your insulin levels are. And I will tell you for me, if I could not ever go from 10 hours to 16 hours, I had to do it very slowly over a period of months. So it's not the same for everyone. And I don't think it should be a pressure. You just do what you can. Again, if you have nothing going on with your metabolic system, if your insulin levels are normal, you are at an ideal body weight, your energy is normal. If you can just do what you need to do to age better, you know, so maybe that is 12 hours for you, which is great. Right. So you said normal body weight. Karen says, I'm underweight trying to gain. Should I fast or wait? I would say don't water fast if you're underweight, unless you have a disease or a doctor telling you. Fast. I'm sorry, how old, how old was she? She didn't say how old she was, but she said she's underweight. Yeah, no, you need to do more like maybe time-restricted feeds. It's just, it's not that it's going to make you lose weight. It's just healthier because we know that if you eat past a certain point, you're taxing your pancreas more. Your insulin requirement is more. So, you know, metabolically, it's just nicer to eat with the sunrise and sunset. Right. So you stop eating and maybe all you do is you stop eating at seven o'clock, but you need to have breakfast at seven. That's fine. It's this night eating. It's such a problem for people, especially those with GI distress. And it's like, just stop eating after dinner. That's all you got to do. Three to five hours before you lay down. That's what all the docs say. But I guess it's really hard for people that have that, those food addictions and the stuff in the house. If you don't have it in the house, you can't eat it. That's what I always say. That's true. Yeah. So let's see. I saw a good question. And Maureen says, is water only fasting not recommended for people who are food addicts? Any, if you have any discordant eating, it, the true North doctors don't recommend fasting. So I don't anyone, bulimia. Absolutely. Right. And Jason is saying, how many days is it safe to do a water fast for? The, I don't think at home you're really supposed to do it on your own, but I'll let the doctor answer that. So if you don't have any medical issues, um, the, what I have people try to do is maybe a two to three day at home. I have some people who are super enthusiastic and they're motivated and no health issues, no medication problems, no, none other issues. They've gone five days um, and felt great. And I've had some people really change their gut in terms of a positive way with the five days, but that's it. I don't go past five days um, without supervision. Uh, I don't know enough uh, to know if it's, you know, at what days, it's six days, is it 10 days, but I, I wouldn't go past five days. I actually would recommend more three days as a maximum limit for most people. Right. Um, uh, Buland wanted to know if you ever read the book Breath by James Nestor. No, I haven't. Okay. He was, it's just, it's about, you know, a lot of things. It's a very good book, New York Times bestseller. Let's see. It goes so quickly. 
Hmm. Well, that might be all the questions I'm thinking. Is there any way people can get to know more about you, follow you? I know I have it in the, in the show notes as well. I mean, do you have a preferred way, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, where, where do you like oh, it? Our Shakti Health and Wellness Center, our website, um, we'd have a lot of our own podcasts on there as well as some educational webinars and um, my resource page for books I recommend and different things like questions that people ask. I used to be doing a Facebook live, but I have stopped that since my mother has gotten sick. But I hope to uh, continue that at some point in the future. And my own, I have also not been able to do podcasts since my mom has that's right I did I did see you had a podcast oh because hopefully that'll come back and I did see a question from Manica do you believe our metabolism is best on the blood type choices of plant-based food choices I've never heard of that but maybe she means the blood type eat right for your type so the only I don't I don't know too much about that but the only thing that I could think that it would matter is the blood type diet may talk about immunogenic the immune markers that go up with certain blood types. Um, and so you have this potential to cross-react with maybe certain foods based on what antigens are on the cells that you have, um, which is the only connection I can make. I don't know any other way to explain why that would work or not work, but just eating a you know, whole food plant-based diet, trying to get in the right timing, chewing properly, I feel like would do wonders. Uh, I don't know that I would recommend for people to do the um, blood type type of diet. Right. Uh, do you have a favorite uh, yoga channel that you watch? People are asking. Oh, maybe yeah, I love I love yoga with Adrian. She's. I just did her thirty day challenge. That's a really nice way to get in, involved with yoga. She's very very good about beginners starting. Um, and also when you make it thirty days, it's not you don't have to have that conversation like I have in my head every day. Should I do it today? Should I not do it today? You're just going to do it. And by the end of the 30 days, you're not going to even know what to do if you don't do yoga <laughs> because you're going to love it so much. So I would recommend trying that because it's 15 minutes some days, 30 minutes. It's not a ton of time and she's so good. Um, so I love that for, um, that's my favorite yoga channel. Yeah, I love that idea of doing a 30-day experiment. People that are interested in intermittent fasting can do that too. They don't have to say, I'm going to do 16 hours the rest of my life. They can just give it a try and see if they feel better. Uh, Gabriella says, if you have a really bad cold, would a 24 or 36 hour fast help you recover quicker? Oh, feed, oh that's, I forget that saying. Was it starve the flu or feed the cold? I don't know. Um, I just think that, I, I'm not sure about a cold, but I just think that anything that helps the immune system stay strong. And I think we're getting data that shows that some sort of fasting regimen will definitely support your immune system. Um, I don't know what to say about the cold, whether you should not eat or I think you should hydrate. That was, um, that was an old commercial. Feed a, feed a fever, starve a fever. I think you should hydrate. I love vitamin C for you know cold. So lemons and those kind of things, lemon water. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Stefan Nesser. He's been on the show. His grandfather had a fasting place a long time ago. He said when he was little, they got a cold or fever. They just would fast the kids and they'd be better in no wow. time. Interesting. Yeah. It has so yeah. much for me. Yeah, Sharmita says, do we have to do yoga in the evening, uh, in the morning, or can we do it in the evening? Yeah, it's just do it anytime you can. I started doing it 10 minutes before I go to bed, and it's improved my sleep so much. I do it in the morning and 10 minutes at night. It's really been a game changer. I would say the best yoga is the one you'll actually do. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, last question. I know you have to go, but uh, it says, can Dr. Rao talk about the sustained toxin release from the fat tissues after one gives up oil? Wow. Um, so 
when you start to mobilize fat, when you start to um, lose weight in terms of fat being mobilized, you do release the toxins that are there. There's definitely toxins in fat tissue. The, the controversy really is, is, does it matter and how much is too much for each person? So you do start to mobilize that. And I have felt, um, I think some of that uncomfortableness in the beginning when you're starting to fast, maybe part of that when you're going into ketosis and breaking down your fat, you do feel kind of, I feel a lot of brain fog um, when that happens. And so it, it might be related to that, but water, 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 flush it. You know, the way we detoxify is to support our liver, support our gut, support our kidneys, sweat. So all of those things really matter, really help. And I did, I think the thing to do also maybe to do something like a yoga practice, a light yoga practice when you're fasting, because it really does help detoxify because it promotes that lymph drainage. So you may want to add maybe a, a, limp, a small yoga practice while you're fasting. That's not too taxing for you. Right. And if you want more information, please consider getting this wonderful book, Body on Fire. I've been putting the link in the chat and the show notes. You'll love it. It's not a difficult, you can see this is how much I love it. So I got some little things that I want to remember in it. Okay. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Rao. I really appreciate your time. And I can't wait till your cookbook comes out. Thank you very much. All right, you take care. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back in two hours at 2 p.m. today when I'll be interviewing Kathy Freston on her new book, 72 Reasons to Be Vegan. And thank you for being vegan. Bye.